0: This is the I test podcast. Cobs play the music.
1: This is the I test. You know we better than the rest. We keep it real, we never lying from the grid. I am too
0: diamond talking, let's jets and let's the I test. righty. Welcome back to the iTest Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Donovan. Today is Wednesday, February 22nd. This episode is Season 2, Episode 4, The Jets' State of the Union. And with me, I have a very special guest by the name of Brian Newborn, a longtime friend of mine. Brian, would you like to say hello?
1: Yeah, super jazzed to be here. Um I've always wanted to say first time long time and now I finally get the chance to do so. So I'm honored to have a to have a shot at joining the eye test and just excited to talk jets.
0: Yeah, my my favorite part about having guests on is how they introduce themselves as first time long times. <laughs> it's like there there Never is no it doesn't get old, but there's a <laughs> first time first time participant not you're not exactly calling in but but still it's uh
1: yeah I it's, guess it's, I won't tell everybody about my times calling in the fan as Mike from Staten <laughs> Island and just yelling at people about the jets but have you ever that fair enough no definitely not I uh way too much shame and uh fear of letting those emotions really out because I think once yeah. the jets emotions come out of the bottle it's gonna be it's hard to put them back in
0: I tried to recently I mean I, I probably the last time I got through was like I actually it was like right, right when the Mets in 2015 were were on their run so it's been you know close to 8 years at this point but I tried to the Sunday after or, or the Saturday after the Jets Dolphins game the first time around um you know they ended up winning that game pretty big but um Joe Joe Beningo was back on the air for the first time in a while. I didn't realize he w- he was back on, so I was excited to chat with him. But <laughs> you just wait on hold for so long; it's not worth it. Because um, there's like anyway,
1: thousands of other dudes exactly like us trying to. I, do I the know. Exact same I know.
0: <laughs> why, why is Brian from Hoboken any any different than you know Joe from? Uh, you'll
1: know. get there once once you yeah. start calling in as like the eye test host. You'll start getting the
0: yeah, yeah, maybe they'll just start patching me right through, get that special treatment, sure. like Ira from Staten Island. Um anyway, so Brian, thank you for joining. Really really pumped to to have you on and talking jets. Um we'll we'll do a more formalized introduction in just a minute. I'll go through the table of contents. So we'll start with the the guest introduction. Uh after you get to know Brian a little bit and the background of his Jets fandom. We'll move on to a 2022 season recap, and within the 2022 season recap, there's four sub bullets. We're going to talk about where our expectations were going into 2022, what reality versus those expectations looks like. Final, you know, thoughts on on the dust has settled. We're we're two months since the season ended, just about or a month and a half. You know, how the dust has settled. How, how we, how we feel about it now after some of the emotions have gone through us. So we'll discuss that. And then we're going to do a game. Uh, we, we put some superlatives together for, uh, awarding players with certain honored titles. Uh, some of them are are positive, some are negative. So we'll get into the superlatives. We're going to snake draft that, and then you all can vote on who who came out with the better picks. From there, we'll we'll move on to part three, which is the 2023 season outlook. And those four subsections involved there are addressing the elephants in the room, meaning the quarterback position and the Nathaniel Hackett hire. Secondly, the biggest needs after quarterback. Thirdly, free agency and draft chatter. And then lastly, just some thoughts on the 2023 schedule. Uh, we know who the opponents are. We don't know the exact order that they will fall in. Uh, but we, we can, you know, draw some ideas, thoughts about, you know, how this season might shape up based on who they've got on the calendar. Um, even though it is a fool's game to assume that anyone will be good or anyone will be bad in the NFL, still feel confident we can at least put, put some, uh, good thoughts out there. So without further ado, Brian, um, you know, you're you're as through and through a Jets fan as it gets. I I know it runs deep within your, your family's blood. So tell us about, you know, your your life as a Jets fan, how it started, how it's you know, how you guys have gotten through the the, the difficult years and you know what, what you guys are you know, what you're like and what your family's like now with the Jets.
1: Yeah, so I um I never really had a chance. I was born on January 29th, 1993, which was two days before Super Bowl 27. So the story goes, I obviously don't remember it, that uh, my parents and I as a tiny nugget of a human watched the Cowboys just like murder the Bills uh, on January 31st. So that was like 52-17. I was just looking it up. But all that to say, like football has been a part of my life literally since day two. Mm-hmm. And, uh, both parents were big Jets fans were taken to games by their fathers. My grandpa's, um, capitalized by my dad's father having season tickets at Shea stadium in the seventies that we still have to this day. So that's an amazing like tradition and exciting link, despite some really horrendous football. Um, it's been like a great opportunity to spend time together and have fun. And we'll usually like, even get like my sister will come to a preseason game here or there come to a game like especially if the Bengals are in town like she can't miss a chance to see joe burrow our seats are on the yeah. <laughs> uh, guest sidelines so that's like an easy sell um my mom will come to a bunch of games um and she has the patience for atrocious football which understandably can wear thin depending on the year um but we're all like love spending time together and then love using the jets as a medium to kind of facilitate that so that's always been a, a big part of our family for all better even when the jets are terrible um yeah we're still able to have fun with it and spend time together and i'd be remiss not to also point out that my dad still tells me to this day that he stood over my crib and like begged me to be a cowboys fan he's like just <laughs> opt out of this entirely um, but i i would be shocked if that had ever happened i'm just <laughs> right. I, I enjoy the time together oh, and i enjoy the time with my family um, and then the last thing i'll say is that you know, we still have these season tickets and we share them with close friends of ours, the chefs. Um, so we get to go to these games and spend time together and laugh and especially laugh at the Jets, but mostly just be together and enjoy, um, you know, spending this like event together, despite whatever is actually going on in the field. So in that sense, it's been a big part and almost entirely positive.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to ask. Do you do you feel like you have a fall family aside from you know your friends that you you split the tickets with? Do you know the people rows in front of you, behind you? Do you, do you have that sort of fever pitch, uh, you know, fall family?
1: Yeah. So this at the at the old Meadowlands, there was like a clan of people to our left, closer to the aisle, um, who were just absolute characters. Like were all camo shopped at Cabela's made the biggest like pre and post game tailgate spreads. Like I, as a child, I remember them talking about eating venison, which like as a seven year old, you're like, this is the most fascinating thing I've ever heard. Um, but they were characters. They are no longer part of the seats given that with the move to, um, MetLife, things have gotten shaken up. We definitely know of the people like my dad and, uh, Andy chef, uh, Like they text with the guys around us and we'll share tickets with them sometimes if everyone needs, but um, I'm definitely not as vocal with them, mostly because the guy who sits behind us is probably the worst person to sit next to watching a Jet game. He is the most negative human being you will ever meet in your entire life. And that's saying something, because we're at a Jets football game and it's like, even when it's going well, it is so negative, so um, I have to usually just opt out of that entirely, but he becomes a a real character in our lives to the point where it's almost hard to imagine Jets games without him.
0: How, how do you go to games <laughs> and just like your your default is just so negative? Like, <laughs> just blows he, my mind. He brings his
1: sons, and it's like they never have a chance. Like they're losing, they, like they leave games at halftime so often because they're so, yeah. so disgusted. And it's like, how can you enjoy your Sunday waking up knowing that that's what you're walking into? <laughs> yeah. Guaranteed I don't misery. It. Yeah, exactly. Unless the Jets win the Super Bowl, and like. Brother, you're going to be waiting a while.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that might not even satisfy him, you know. And just yeah, maybe he's yeah that's stubborn about it. But um, yeah, you, you had mentioned uh, your your uh, the tickets around you, the the season ticket holders around you um, has has changed up a little bit since the stadium change, and you know that was that was what uh, happened to us. We we had uh, tickets in section one eleven and gave those up. I don't even think my my dad really thought twice about it. Gave those up with uh the the move to MetLife Stadium. So, you know, I'm jealous of the the tailgates that you guys have. We we used to put together some big tailgates as well and you know, those that's a, you know, now now a memory, but it's 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 nice that you guys are still living those for you know, 6 or 7 times a year. It's pretty great.
1: Yeah, and you'll be there soon enough now that you're so close by. You have way less of an excuse not to go.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, I'm, I'm actively excited to be joining in on, on some in game appearances because it, they've been a few and far between over the past several years or so. So, um, yeah, I'll, I don't have any excuse anymore. Um, real quick, before we move on from you in particular, um, favorite, favorite Jets memory, whether something you attended in person or, uh, just, just something that stands out from your life as a Jazz fan?
1: Yeah, a few stood out as I went back through pro football uh reference last night, which uh-huh. was surprisingly positive. I thought there'd be a lot fewer exciting moments as I looked back. But um I mean the Jets of the late nineties were the Jets that I grew up like falling in love with. So I had a Keyshawn Johnson jersey and we were lucky enough to go on the field one day after the game and like he signed mm-hmm. it and that was you know, to a I think I was probably five or six, like that's the most exciting thing a child could ever happen in their entire lives. I think I was also convinced I was gonna play middle linebacker for the Jets. Right. So I was like, Hey Keyshawn, I'll see you soon. Um, <laughs> probably wasn't the best forecast, but yeah, I mean I started writing down names last night that the guys that stuck out and you know, it was Keyshawn, it was Curtis Martin, and like he was Curtis Martin was just so electric that awesome. he kind of got used to thinking that every Jets running back was gonna be like that and that was not the case. Uh Vinny Testaverde, Testaverdi, Chad Pennington. And then I started writing on some randos that started popping into my head, which I had real fun with. And like Chad Morton comes to mind as just well, like Chad an Morten. absolute legend for a year or two. Chris Baker, the touchdown maker, the touchdown was another maker. one that jo- yeah, exactly yeah. John Hall, um, who was just like not even that good of a kicker, but for some reason just like stood out in my mind. He, like wouldn't those,
0: he wouldn't have missed those kicks in Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Was he, I mean, I guess, I mean, Doug Bryan, he didn't have yeah. the eyes for the big lights, but, um, and then, no, like, John you know, Hall kept,
0: was, was just before, right? He was,
1: that makes sense. I mean, Bryan yeah. was what, 2002? Was that the playoff run?
0: Uh, that one was 04. 04. Yeah. I think John Hall was 02. Yeah.
1: For that, yeah, that playoff some, team. Some memorable games that I wrote down. Um, the playoff went over the Colts in 2003. I was at, which is, <laughs> Um also the you play to win the game year, which I never uh, really nice. um I never really appreciated until I went back and looked. Uh they also in the week before smoked Green Bay at home, like yes. forty two to yeah I remember where
0: I was for that game. That's like my first that's my first memory of the Jets yeah that game.
1: And so I was at both of those, like we beat Green Bay and then I immediately said to my dad, like I have to go, right? So like he yeah. was, obviously took me and it was really amazing. And I looked it up, it was the last time the Jets won the division. So <laughs> that was yeah. insane. Insane. Um It's been a while, but and then a little bit more recently, the game that popped into my head was the first uh, Patriots game with Rex in two thousand nine, when yeah, like Kerry Rose was running his mouth all week. Yeah, and uh, the defense just like absolutely blew up Brady from the second the game started. Yeah. And Sanchez outplayed him, and I went back and read the articles from that day, and it's it's pretty funny because they're like. You know, Rex said immediately, like, I'm not as good of a coach as Belichick. And the ESPN articles are saying, like, hey, Rex, don't sell yourself short just yet. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, you know, there's a lot of hope back then, 2-0 and in 2009. So uh, that one sticks out amongst a few others. And then plenty of, of bad games that stick out for bad reasons, but in funny ways. So, yeah, I mean, the last one I can add on to that is just I was at the Buff Humble game, yeah. and I'll never not admit that because it's like almost a badge of honor at this point to have left thanksgiving dinner early to just go watch like probably the worst game in franchise history
0: yeah (laughs) on holiday
1: you should be spending the time with family but um i think at this point it's it's kind of like something that you just can chuckle at because it's so far back
0: i think and and almost i'm there's a part of me that's jealous in a way you know i feel like you you have you know that that badge of honor that uh you know advantage as a jets fan on me because unless you experience that you, you know you, you don't get the full jets fan experience yeah
1: it's like pledging or something like something right, you never exactly. want to go through again but you're yep. glad you did in like yeah. just a dark twisted way
0: yeah that's awesome well good um awesome thank you I, and real real quick last question don't don't think no other context no no <laughs> no explanation just a yes or no Will the Jets ever win a Super Bowl in your lifetime or before the NFL is cancelled?
1: <laughs> um, I'm going to say yes, just because it's the hope that'll keep me going for gotcha. the next gotcha. however many years I have on this rock. But that's I the, wouldn't that's bet on the, on the it. difference
0: between you and the guy that sits behind you, at, at, you know, right. in your section. Yeah. I'm
1: positive, man. He's negative, man.
0: Yeah. Good. So let's, uh, let's get into part two here. It's the 2022 season recap. And like I mentioned, we'll start with the first subsection. We'll start getting into this. Of course, the Jets finish actually in last place of the AFC East with a seven and ten record. Um, you know, I think it's important when we analyze the year to to really go back and think about, you know, what what we may have decided would have been a success, what would have been failure, what the expectations were. So talk me through if you can, channel yourself into August of twenty twenty two, the teams at at training camp. What's your expectation for the season?
1: my expectations were pretty low just because we've had a bad eight years in a row. So it's like kind of easy to keep those expectations low, but I had, had had some pretty clear hopes that I remember identifying back then almost like kind of as a joke, but still I think believed it, which was I really just wanted the jets to be like on the graphic and CBS when they show like the division leaders, mm-hmm. then the wild card and then the, in the hunt. Like I just wanted to be in the hunt in December. Yep. That was what I said. Um, and that was really it. I wanted them to score a lot of points and to be in the hunt, and everything else I figured was like gravy on top of that. Sure, and <laughs> kind of got that for chunks of the season. So in that sense, it was a success. What What did you think going into August twenty fifth? Yeah.
0: So, um, you know, I, I did one of the you know the like NFL preview podcasts, mm-hmm. and I had the Jets at seven and ten, actually in third place of the division. So I was you know pretty spot on with that, but. By no means did I expect the path as to which they would get to that seven and 10 mm-hmm. be in line with what happened. <laughs> the way I looked at it was basically I figured this year would be a general year two step forward for the entire team, including Zach Wilson, top to, you know, including the coaching staff, top to bottom. I thought everyone would get noticeably better and improve, but it was still just a stepping stone. Toward 2023. So I figured they'd be like, you know, two and two, three and three, five and five, six and seven, outside chance of getting in, finish seven and ten. That's basically how I thought it would go about. And then, you know, what what really happened was that, you know, this team turned out to be really, really good and really, really talented, and many players were exceeding expectations, and this team was ready to have Double digit wins on their resume, if not for just completely unacceptable play from the quarterback that just derailed the season and completely held them all back. Um, so that's, that's not in line with, with how I saw the season going because I thought, you know, we'd be ready, getting ready for the third season of Zach Wilson. And, and, you know, obviously that's, that's not what we're about to have in 2023. So, you know, I really can't take too much credit for getting the seven and 10, um, because like, you know they, they they really did outperform in a lot of areas and just way underperform in a critical area.
1: Yeah, the most important position in sports, they underperformed, yeah. it, but the other twenty-one excellent.
0: So yeah, let's 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 talk about those other twenty-one. Um, you know, reality versus expectations on a more granular level. Um, you know, I think comes to mind two guys. I, I know you're a huge fan of like DJ Reed and and you know. Just what he did coming in as a quasi-veteran, and and how he you know just performed on a on a week in week out basis. Um, so you can you can speak to that a little bit. And is there anyone else that really strayed from where your expectations going into the season may have been?
1: Yeah, um, Brian jumped the gun for me a little bit. D.J. Reed mm-hmm. was one of my favorite chats this year, just in the sense that he was a consummate professional and it's not something the jets have had at the cornerback position in a long time of a guy who can just take care of business and do his job really, really well. And I just absolutely love that in jets players. Cause we just don't really get enough of that. And then the other guy that like just got me so excited this year was Garrett Wilson, rookie mm-hmm. rookie, rookie wide receivers tend to struggle jumping into the NFL or they used to historically just given the massive difference in skill set at the defensive positions that they're going up against, uh, some, like Garrett Wilson was torching guys at Northwestern who are going to be selling insurance, and then in week one he's going up against like you know all pro potential cornerbacks in Baltimore, and yet the guy just looked ready from day one. Um, he made guys miss in that Baltimore game; that it was, re- it looked like he was in his fourth year and ready to just absolutely ball out, and he and hmm. he did, and he was getting open, he was catching balls. Um, he was keeping his mouth shut when the quarterback play was awful. Like he just got me so excited for what's to come with him, especially. And they
0: didn't even let him run routes in that game. Yeah. <laughs> he like barely even saw the field week one.
1: Yeah, and it 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 really just speaks volumes of, of how ready some of these guys are when they come out of college. The coaches don't even appreciate how ready they are sometimes. And sometimes they're not ready. I mean, Brees Hall took like three, four weeks to finally get his sea legs under him. Um you know, Denzel Mims and Elijah Moore are still figuring it out. Like it's, it's some sort of weird alchemy that they figure it out. But it's pretty clear that Garrett figured it out within the first couple of weeks and was no, ready I to mean, roll
0: by week two. His name was on the map. I mean, yeah, that, that, And if he had like, good quarterback play,
1: it was going to be even better. It was an amazing year, and it could have been an even better year if he had real quarterback play. So that was really it, exciting amidst a lot of other really great rookie talent.
0: It's almost impossible. That he ended the season with like, you know, uh, slightly over a thousand yards and four touchdowns with, with how like incredibly talented he, he was. And, uh, you know, just uh, right up to the task and ready to exceed expectations beyond, you know, beyond belief. It's amazing that his numbers don't really reflect that. And, you know, that just solely on the quarterback. It's amazing
1: yeah to break a thousand yards with what happened at the quarterback position this year it's incredibly incredibly impressive yeah. <laughs> like he was he was going into games with with three different quarterbacks, two of which are like well below replacement level quarterbacks in Flacco and Wilson and Mike White had flashes of playing at like a 20th best quarterback in the league potential but he's practicing with different guys every basically every week um, he's dealing with drama with Elijah Moore like walking off and yelling at The offensive coordinator and he's like dealing just with all of these distractions that could easily tank a rookie season and he didn't let it get to him and it was really obvious and the rewards are piling up and deservedly so for that
0: yeah yeah he's you know probably the most exciting thing to come through the pipeline you know the jets draft pipeline on the offensive side of the ball in many years i mean i mean you could even say the same thing about Brees Hall. I just, I just can't remember the last time that, you know, e- either of these, uh, you know, anyone came up as as exciting as those two on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so, you know, speaking of, you know, Brees took a few weeks to get his sea legs under him. Garrett Wilson took a few weeks to to get real, you know, maybe two weeks to get going. And once they did, the Jets team looked like they were a threat to the AFC. I mean, just, just. Raging hot. Um, you know, shot out to that five and two record. And, you know, while they're in Denver, um, you know, polishing off that five and two start, they, they lose two of their best players for the season in Brees Hall and AVT. At that point in the year, after seven weeks, five and two record, way better than you or I ever could have imagined they would be in that spot. Did you have doomsday feelings inside or were you? Thinking this team was too prepared and coached too well, um, you know, too many good things going on for for that to just completely uh, spin off the rails like it eventually did.
1: Yeah, I think I was in denial. I, I remember you and I talking that week, and your reaction was basically like, "AVT is like the glue that holds this team together." And I think I didn't appreciate how much that was actually true, or how much talent Brees had over Donovan Knight and Michael Carter. And yeah. I think I just kind of hoped that. Zach would continue to like just don't crash the car and the defense would continue to just be stingy. And we've seen that recipe work for the Jets in the past. Like, I mean, the 2009, 2010 Jets were like the archetype of that system. Mm -hmm. So we've seen that work. Just hand it off to running backs. Don't turn the ball over, play great defense and just pray that the other team doesn't hit you on a couple of deep balls. And I think I was hopeful that that would be the case. And that was clearly, clearly. Beyond optimistic, downright irrational, um, looking back, but I, I really didn't see the skies falling up badly.
0: right. well, you know, looking back on it in retrospect, it's easy to say that that's you know uh, just an unbelievable or, or you know completely unfair expectation to put on this team. Um, you know and and naturally, I was very wary after those two injuries. but you know, two weeks later, after an awful loss to New England, they go out and do egg, that exact recipe, that exact right. structure for a winning game at home against one of the best teams in the entire conference against Buffalo. And if it wasn't for that win, that, that win just screwed me up. Yeah. You know, everything changed after that. I was like, Oh shit. They can actually do this. You know, they yeah. can, they can put together really good efforts, even without these two guys. And then, you know, obviously I think that turned out to be more of a reflection on Buffalo. Who got their butts whooped in the playoffs and really scraped by getting to the divisional round in the first place, then it said about you know the, the Jets ability and, and the coaching staff's ability to get their guys to play up no matter who's in the starting lineup.
1: Yeah, and I think it, you know, one of the things that looking back on the year, I was somewhat glad about or impressed by is compared to most Jets years, there really weren't a lot of those like rollover and die games. I mean, you and I have watched so many games together where it's over, like basically before kickoff. Like the Brandon Cooks quote yeah. from earlier this year of like it was over when they walked out of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, Sam Darnold was a part of a bunch of those. Like Gino was a part of a bunch of those, and they didn't do that as much this year. Um, there were there was a little bit of those vibes at some points, but at for the edge. most part, they fought. And and I you know that's a that's a that's a credit to the coaching staff. It's a credit to the veterans who like figure out how to keep this kind of just like paper mache and glue sticks team going by the end and in that sense like the buffalo win was a reflection of that too right they're scrappy like that team just like didn't really quit and mm-hmm. they gave good teams trouble and then josh allen made a bunch of mistakes so it was like a perfect storm
0: right right it's but almost yeah, concerning right. Yeah, right i mean it's concerning that they didn't quit and and looked as bad as they did down the stretch, you know. That, that was that was the, uh, the result of really good effort when you don't have a quarterback. and it's That's just, why I said, like, so it was ugly. most
1: of this season because the Seattle game felt like that, the Jacksonville game, game felt like that. that, and the Miami game, the season was already over at that point. So I don't know if I use that as, like, a judgment call, but, like, the Jacksonville and Seattle games were like, wow, I've seen this before, and this is quite depressing.
0: Yeah, yeah, those games were, were really upsetting, especially in... The Jacksonville game, which was the week before Seattle, you know, the the game opened up with a Quinn and Williams strip sack on the Jaguars' own ten, you know, and and once they went backwards and settled for three, and then the Jaguars went down and drove the the length. I think, you know, they drove the length of the field, went up, and then had like a ninety eight yard drive, uh, you know, a couple drives, later, you know, the second half, it was over, and it was on a national stage, and it kind of felt like we were back to. Looking at Twitter and seeing the entire world just making fun of the Jets. Like to think that the, where the season started to getting to that point is, it's like unbelievable.
1: Yeah. It is crazy to think that the Buffalo win was the second to last win of the year. And that was the first week of November. And then two weeks later, they beat up on Chicago. And then that was it. That was it. Crazy. Yeah. I, Crazy. It's like I almost think of this season in segments, and those feel like so distant because those last six weeks were just so slow and painful, and like just a brutal six weeks that those those that Buffalo win feels so distant.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it feels like a, a different lifetime ago. And so does the the Bears game, and um, I don't know, just the the way it it spiraled out. You know, they they get this they get all this help right at the end of the year. Green Bay, who, who stunk this year, goes down to Miami and, you know, wins that game on, on Christmas. And, like, you know, they, they get all these necessary wins, outside help from the rest of the league. And there was still a part of me that up until, you know, the Seattle game, I still thought they were going to find a way to get in. D- going in, you know, they get the win on, they get the Dolphins lost, the Packers win. They control their own destiny, more or less, going to Seattle. Were you... Did did you think like everything was gonna be okay and it would get figured out or were you were you out at that point?
1: No, I think you're right. I think I was sucked in a little bit. I mean, I think I looked at week seventeen and eighteen and said we have to beat Geno Smith and Skylar Thompson to get into the playoffs. Right. Like that that's the path that's setting you up. Like NFL is just begging the Jets to just like mercy kill these two teams and just find a way into the playoffs and then anything can happen from there. And the Seattle game is over on the second drive. Like I remember the Seahawks. It just, just Jets had no interest in tackling. Yeah, offense couldn't move the ball, which you know that happens a fair amount towards the end of the year with this team. But yeah, it was it was just a rollover and die game, and I hate that game.
0: Opened those up fans. with a what sixty eight yard run by uh, Ken Walker. Yeah, down some. About you know, that, it,
1: I think it, I went it, to the bathroom and then I came back and it was already a touchdown.
0: Yeah, I was like struggling to get up. You know, it, to, I was like uh, opening the door to. Rhodes apartment and like, you know, it was, they were already basically down seven, nothing. Um, you know, it, it it reminded me of week two of the awful 2020 season, you know, they, they at home against the Niners and, you know, it's the gay season. So obviously that was horrible, but first play of the game was a, a 75 yard Raheem Mostert touchdown, uh, just like a, on a, on a pitch play. and. You know, that's the type of thing you might expect from an Adam Gaze team. I, I didn't expect that from Robert Sala. That was really the only moment this year where I was like, dude, like
1: what
0: the hell is going on right now?
1: Yeah, the wheels had come off by then and it's it was it was sad. It was really tragic just given as you said said the highs were so high. I mean, that Buffalo win and the Chicago win, it was like this team can figure out a way to do it. And yeah. just looking back at his schedule, I'm like almost in shock at looking at the month of October, they go four and one capped off by that last loss in New or against New England. But like that was a dominant stretch. Like they were beating up on teams and
0: yeah. I mean, yeah. Beat, you, you, you were at green Bay. They beat the crap out of them that game. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the game against the dolphins at, at home was, close until the fourth quarter and then they just, you know, did what good teams do and, and, um, you know, the better team will do and that's pull away and, and, you know, put, put their you know step on the throat a little bit, so to speak. Um, you know, Pittsburgh, they real gritty win. Uh, Cleveland was kind of a fluke, but, you know, just like really character defining types of wins, um, that, that I, I was really, really pumped about. Um, you know, and and that that's you know should should be exciting for next year. Um, it's just tough to get excited about anything with uh, without knowing who the quarterbacks going to be. Yeah,
1: the question I'm curious to hear your thoughts on um, is like, what do we make of this offensive line? Given that if you started the season and put them in on Madden, it's a very good offensive line. But like, why were so many of them getting hurt? And like why did they some weeks look really good and other weeks just look like they didn't know how to block a stunt? Like just such an odd year for an offensive line.
0: Yeah. I I think, you know, if you're, you know, ABT was playing what a tackle by by week four, you know, just the the whole offensive line was a game of musical chairs and it, it was just a revolving door on the bench, you know, Max Mitchell comes in and he looks like, you know, they, they got some diamond in the rough here and, you know, four weeks later, he's out, you know, on, on IR just just like, you know, I, I, I hope and, and, you know, it makes sense to think that that would just be bad luck. Um, And, you know, a really good sign for, for next year. Um, But, you know, like other teams have these issues of injuries on the O-line and, it doesn't seem to completely cripple their offense like like it does with the Jets, yeah. which is concerning.
1: Yeah, and I guess you know my good friend Marcus always says like the team that wins at the end of the, wins the Super Bowl is not necessarily the best team, but also sometimes the healthiest, and there is some luck that goes into that. Yeah, but this year was just so weird in that it felt like guys were constantly going down and or or like coming in and coming out and. Dwayne Brown and his shoulder of, like, you know, bringing him off the street. Like, it was just an odd an odd year for an offensive line and really no time to gel.
0: Dude, they brought they brought the doctor back in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, why was that guy back on the Jets roster in a starting capacity?
1: I think that's they were so desperate for bodies that yeah. they were just like, all right, this guy knows how to wear a jersey. I mean, if I was 300 pounds, I might have gotten a call.
0: Right. So you know it's it's tough to draw too many conclusions out of that. Um I think you know it's not crazy to chalk it up to bad luck and things will will come around in their favor next year. Um but you know maybe it's maybe it's better quarterback play. Yeah. Maybe these guys aren't aren't going to be you know they're not going to be running the ball you know uh, f- for f- 40 carries a game. Or whatever you know, they were doing toward the end of the season when they were literally terrified of throwing the ball. And you know, if they can can get them into more comfortable pass protection situations and have a quarterback who one two gets the ball out, you know, that's a lot less stress on their bodies. Maybe maybe that has to do with it.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, like we know Zach Wilson would bail out of the pocket every play. Yeah. So then your offensive line are having to start moving in weird directions and getting run into. And that's a fair point. It's a very yeah. fair point.
0: So to- I mean. <laughs> These guys don't want it. I mean like as an offensive lineman, you have to sprint out after like the quarterback to you know go go get him the help that he needs um yeah, you gotta hold on to your block as long as possible. they don't want to be doing that every play, every other play yeah. <laughs> ridiculous,
1: yeah, it's probably hard enough to to say your feet and know what you're doing when you know the guy behind you is doing what he's supposed to, and then when that breaks down, it's like trying to block you know. Nick Bosa as exactly sprinting by you. It's like good
0: yeah, luck. Say, yeah, like they, they face yeah. plenty of good edge rushers and you know uh, you know uh, pressure rich fronts. That, you know that's enough to worry about. You, you know you you don't want to be also playing against your own quarterback as well.
1: Right, making it harder than it needs to be. And then the last the unit that I think also deserves commendation is the D line. this year. it was awesome. Just yeah. obviously lacked that like just 20-sack threat edge rusher that great teams always seem to have. Like, for some reason, Hassan Reddick just mm-hmm. didn't go for a lot of money in free agency, despite being just an absolute monster. And we saw it this year. It makes yeah. a huge difference. Um, but between Quinnen and Jonathan Franklin Myers and Bryce Huff coming in on rotational stuff, uh, you know, like Michael Clemens, like there was just like a, a deep rotation of guys who are making plays Week in, week out. And that was an awesome unit to watch because they would start slow. I found, I remember watching the first quarter was always a little shaky. And by the mm-hmm. fourth quarter, they were just wearing teams down. And yep. that was awesome. That was something that was just fun as a fan to watch.
0: Especially because that's how the coach, that's what the coaching staff is going for.
1: That's yeah. They, they did talk they were, about that a lot.
0: A lot. You know, that's what they were, you know, ideally, you know, if they're, defense is playing well it's because what you just said right there was was cooking you know the, yeah. the rotation of guys everyone contributing just wearing down offensive lines and um you know it it helps when you've you've got the two best the, the best cornerback tandem in the league and uh you know a really special cornerback tandem this year it was awesome
1: yeah you're right we the cornerbacks in a sense have gone under the radar but DJ Reed potentially played at an all pro level and was by far and away the second best cornerback in this team. And, and the third best cornerback, Brandon, uh, like we had Michael Carter and Brandon Nichols, both played excellently at the nickel spot. So it's like even yeah. without talking about sauce, this was the best secondary that Justin trotted out in potentially yeah. like 15, 13 years or whatever.
0: And, you know, yeah, clearly, you know, we, we both agree linebacker was the issue and safety. It's become, you know, if we didn't already know what the valuable positions were on defense, meaning guys that can get home to the quarterback and guys that can defend, you know, body up receivers one-on-one, we know it for absolute fact now. I mean, I rarely did I feel like the safeties or linebackers were like this big, um, you know, liability on the field. You know, there there were times you think of the fourth and one against the Lions that, you know, the the 50-yard touchdown. Um, mm-hmm. Where mostly just blew his coverage, but you know, very few instances where it felt like this defense was vulnerable because their linebackers and safeties weren't weren't uh, up to par. Like you know, they they could be bad there, and the defense was still going to be really good.
1: Yeah, and it's funny. I was just we, you and I have talked about how the center of the defense was was definitely the weak point this year between the linebacking play and the safeties, and I've seen that written consistently. And then I looked it up on Pro Football Focus and. Mosley and Quan Alexander graded out as like two of the top 20 linebackers this year in the NFL. So either that scoring system is wrong or all of us are wrong. Um, But, and I know he was Pro Bowl. Like it, it's just, it just always felt like they were a little bit too slow um, on like crossing routes and covering tight ends. And granted that's hard to do, but that was definitely the weak point on this defense from my view. I mean,
0: those two guys are older and slower in football linebacker terms. Yeah. And those two guys play more of the classic middle linebacker style, you know, where they're just bruisers. You look at the all pros, you know, these guys, the Roquan Smiths, these guys are fast. They're so fast. Yeah. Like Fred Warner, these guys just get sideline to sideline so differently these days. Um, And I, I really feel like they could, Use someone like that. And I think they've gone for it, especially in the 2021 draft with Nazrul Dean and um, Sherwood. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, two of those th- th- those guys aren't hitting, but I think they know that they need to get faster there.
1: Yeah, and it's something that like great teams have. I mean, you got to see it. Like the Chiefs didn't obviously invest a ton in getting their linebacking core, but like having guys that can sprint sideline to sideline and make plays is what gives those defenses like an extra pop on big plays.
0: I mean, Bolton got his, you know, he, he, he's, he's going he's gonna to be recognized now.
1: That was... Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, that defense played amazing. And obviously, like, that whole game's just an incredible masterclass by them. But he stood out as someone, and their safety yeah. stood out as guys that had speed and had the abilities to go, like, make plays happen rather than just being part of a functional defense. They were going above and beyond and yep. obviously like the Eagles had that and some of the other better defenses in the league just like have guys who can go make plays in the middle of the field and Jets i mean you know we're going to talk about some of the uh, the guys we're like excited to talk about as our superlatives later but like Quincy Williams is just an awesome player to watch because if Mosley and Quan are a little bit slower and better at recognition Quincy is like the exact converse of that where he's sometimes slow to recognize a play and then he will <laughs> run full speed ahead with his head down and knock a guy back five yards and if you can hear me on the eye test smiling it's because i can't not smile when i watch that guy go make a tackle it's he's, violent. The, he concuss- he's the water boy he's Bobby yeah, Boucher. Yeah. he concusses himself sometimes but he's yeah. gotten a lot better at that like when they first brought him in he was constantly hurting himself because he just didn't know how to control his body and now he's getting a lot better and he's still got some stuff to figure out but Man, is he a fun player to watch on the field.
0: Yeah, like, and that's really all we're asking for, you know. Just put in good effort, you know. For, you know, if you're going to make a mistake, at least do it at full speed. It's like what our yeah. you know, high school football coach used to say: like, don't, don't, don't just quit and give up if you don't know what you're doing. Like, at least just go, just go hit someone.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and he does that to the nth degree. Like nobody yeah. hits like him that I've seen on the Jets in a long time. Yeah.
0: It's awesome. So good. You know, I think that that was a good, you know, recap of, you know, uh, the the reality of what happened this year versus our expectations, both from a um, you know, holistic approach there, but along with um individual position group by position group. Um, you know, before we get into the superlatives. The dust has settled. You know, give me give me one or two sentences. On on how you feel about the year now that uh you know I'm sure some of the emotions have uh come and gone now that we're uh 60 days or so removed from the season.
1: Quarterback, 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 quarterback. That's it. That's all the yep. sentences I've got. They have to figure it out. It's the most important position in sports, and they were a humongous net negative this year at the most important position. Yeah. Yep. What would you say?
0: I would say um, that. This is the best roster since 2010, and that's something to be very excited about. I think you you covered the quarterback position nicely, but I I can't remember this much talent, and and I do believe in solid. I think this is the best coaching and and roster they've had in over a decade.
1: I agree with that. It's yeah. definitely more exciting now than it's been in a long, long time to be a Jets fan.
0: Yeah, and I definitely did not go into you know if I shit if like. February twenty second of twenty twenty two. If you told me that a year from then, as in today, I'd be saying this is the best roster they've had since twenty ten. I would have signed up for that regardless of what happened this season. So, you know, all things considered, the way in which the the collapse happened and how they missed the playoffs and you know, it it really stung, but um, you know, it was it was never the plan to win the Super Bowl in twenty twenty two anyway. So you yeah, tough tough to be too upset about what happened this year. Um so let's let's get into superlatives. So, the last part of 2022, our last subsection here, we have six total superlatives in honor of Mark Sanchez. Three positives, three negatives. We'll start with the negatives. And keep in mind, we tried to get a little creative here. We didn't want every answer to be Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, and Williams. You know, those guys have won actual awards this year in the forms of All-Pro and Offense and Defensive Rookie of the Year. So... Uh, wanted to make this a little bit different, um, and and I'll make sure I speak through each one. Brian, I'll let you get the first pick of the first, third, and fifth round, and okay. I'll take the, you know, we'll, we'll snake it from there. So I'll get the first pick of the second, fourth, and sixth rounds, and then uh we'll say you can't repeat the other person's pick for that round, but you can use them later on in the game, sure. and you can't use a player more than once.
1: Sure.
0: Okay, good. So with that being said, we have our first superlative. We're doing the three negatives first. Number one, the Muhammad Wilkerson, don't let the door hit you on the way out award. Specifically what that means is who can you just absolutely not wait to see in any other uniform or not in a Jets uniform at all come come training camp.
1: So this one was definitely harder than most years because as we've said a bunch this year, the Jets didn't really quit. Like they yeah. have in years past. And usually when the Jets quit, I single out like a few guys in my mind who I just can tell have given up. And I really hate that as a fan. And those are usually the guys I want to send packing. This year it was a little bit more performance based. I have two. So I'm just going to pick the one that I wrote down first, which is Corey Davis. A um, mm. bunch of brutal drops. He was like a pretty good pro, but just for what he's getting paid and the role he's supposed to be playing, it was just frustrating seeing him drop balls and get hurt. But um that's definitely coming from a lot less despised than this wouldn't have been answered in a few, few years ago.
0: It's funny you say that because I was fully ready to use Corey Davis as my pick here. I didn't think you would take him with the first pick here. Um because I, I, I feel a little guilty saying that about Corey Davis. You know, I, I don't hate him. You know, yeah. he, he's not he's not my least favorite guy in the world. Um, but like you said, I mean the, the value just isn't there, and he drops too many passes, and you know you, you can't pay a guy that much just to block on the outside. Um, yeah. So I, I was I was ready to to take Corey. I'm sure we have the same thought too. I was ready to take Corey Davis there because I thought, um, you you would take this guy, and that's Braden Man. Just. Absolutely. I actually didn't
1: go with him, but yeah.
0: Uh, okay. Uh. So you know, Braden Man, it's I just he was horrible. Like he was yeah. he was unacceptably bad. And I'm still mad at him for costing the Jets Trevor Lawrence. So, um, yeah, that that's I, I I'm surprised. Who was who your who's your honorable
1: mention? Lamarcus Joyner.
0: Okay, he he, he like wasn't obviously good. wasn't good, but like yeah, what he just wasn't good. Right. But what were your expectations for him? It's not like you know he
1: like yeah, it it's just, not like it's just pulled. more of like I don't want him on the Jets. I don't right. mean like him poorly, but like go play in Oakland and just like right. never see you again. Like, right, I think but he at least it's not Atlanta like a Tremaine go, like, Johnson,
0: right? At least it's not a Tremaine Johnson situation where, like, you know, we paid him all this money and he just totally yeah flopped.
1: Or I mean, Wilkerson's like the—I forgot about Tremaine yeah. Johnson. Wilkerson's like the archetype of this. Late-stage Revis was like this, like just guys yeah. who I just absolutely could tell did not want to be there.
0: The worst. That my my least favorite type of player to convince myself to root for. Um, all right, so you're you're up there with Corey Davis, I've got Braid Mann. Man. I'll take the the first pick of the second award here, and that'll be the Quentin Coples guaranteed flop award. Who did you know was a terrible pick from the moment it happened? And now, you know, it's just clear the writing's on the wall that it's not going to to happen for him. This does not have to be a first pick, even though Quentin Coples was. I like did you feel the same about Quentin Coples? by the way, in twenty twelve?
1: No, because Rex was like a defensive whisperer and he picked a freak defensive end that they were going to play at cornerback. Like, you know, he was so freakishly athletic, they could stick him all over the field. Like, why would that whiff?
0: So I I was in North Carolina at the time. That was when I went to Elon. And, you know, I was hanging out with guys who were like North Carolina football fans and they were like, this guy sucks. <laughs> 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 like he, he's like not, he, he, you know, he, he doesn't have the right attitude. He's gotten into trouble in North Carolina, like just a, a terrible, you know, pick. so really that, that I think I was a little closer to the situation. Um, you know, just being that uh, I was, I was in the area of where he's from, but anyway, um, my pick here can really go two ways. I think I know who you're gonna go with. And I'm gonna let you have him. Um but believe it or not, I'm actually gonna go with Mikai Becton. And you know, I, I think it might sound unbelievable because Jets fans in general um were were you know happy with the pick. We knew we were going offensive lineman in twenty twenty. Um but I, I wanted worfs and I, I, I was very outspoken about that. And I had concerns over the size of Becton and then You know, the irony of it all is that I was incredibly impressed with him in the 2020 season. I thought he was the lone bright spot on that team. And now it's kind of come full circle where, you know, this, this guy can't get out of his own way and he hasn't played a snap in you know, it's going to be three years by the time 2023 comes around. And I, I think it's over for him. I, I just, I, I really do. So I had bad feelings about when it happened. And then, you know, those feelings changed. I thought I was wrong, but I, I do ultimately am back to where I was. I, th- I think I'm right about it. I think he's, I think he's a flop.
1: Yeah, that was definitely my first choice too. I'm oh, really okay. curious to hear who you would have picked and you, who would, you thought I was going to pick instead, but um my runner up for this was Ashton Davis which kind of mm-hmm. feels like an easy one cuz he's definitely going to get cut but the guy was like a track runner in college played like 1 year at Cal and i think as we've seen guys who are freakishly athletic can do really well in college football because they're again playing against non pros but Ashton Davis has just never been able to do anything on the field and is a what is it a fourth round pick or yeah. third round pick
0: terribly um, undersized fourth round pick yeah
1: yeah, I think he was sixty. I'm looking at sixty-eight. So he was a third-round pick, but okay. just yeah. like you know, I bet if we look at picks around there, there's plenty of guys who are at least contributing to their team, and he's just not. Yeah, he's not at all.
0: He he, he played to he get the pick against Cleveland. He did the <laughs> pick? Yeah. <Yep. laughs> did you know that was his first snap of the game
1: that play? I did not. I just went yeah. back to watch the highlights this week and was like, "Wow, Ashton Davis, look at you! Yeah, that you that great?
0: Played. That was his his one play of that game, and he." <laughs> He picked off, percent. Um, my my honorable mention was Mims. By the way,
1: yeah, that's fair. Um, just
0: when he when he was falling and falling and falling on draft night, you know, the Jets just kept trading back, and he was on the board every time they, you know, clearly a bad time. With him. Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. Good. So I, I've got so far: Braden Mann and Becton. You've got Corey Davis and Ashton Davis.
1: I'm just you going with the all the Davises.
0: You get the first pick here the Robbie Anderson Too Good to Be True Award who flashed promise this year, but you know, deep down you're you're not betting on the sustained production uh in, in the coming years. And I think uh you know Robbie Anderson came onto the scene with McCown in twenty seventeen, but you know, I, I I knew that wasn't for long.
1: You mean chosen Anderson?
0: Chosen yeah, chosen Anderson. Did you know he he changed the spelling of Robbie first?
1: Yeah. He's now done three this is his third name.
0: Yeah, it's insane.
1: Uh, I mean, I only yes, know that uh, because I specifically read about it this week when he changed to right. chosen. But yeah. he also was making so much money this year, so good, good for him for turning like one pretty good, not amazing year into just an incredible career of being awful.
0: Yeah. <laughs> awful. <laughs> he
1: yeah. can't. No one wants to play him. No one wants to coach him. And yet, he's still making and like just, ten million.
0: Yeah. You know, terrible attitude too.
1: Yeah. Uh, um, all right. So here you go. This, this one was tough for me. Tough for me too, because I think between the injuries and then like some of these superstars flashing promise, there wasn't as much of like this middle ground. So I I'm gonna go with the guy who had one great game and everyone was like, Oh my god, he's the real deal. And then it was pretty obvious he wasn't, which is Donovan Knight. Um he had that hundred yard game. Everyone was like, Holy crap, this guy is the real deal. And then it was like painfully obvious in the last few weeks of the year that he's just not an NFL caliber running back. And Guy clearly tries hard, which we've talked about at nauseum that we really do value. But he does not have a career as an NFL running back, um, or maybe he does, but not immediately.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good answer. Um, you yeah, know, I, I, he looked awesome <laughs> in Chicago, and yeah. then again in Minnesota. You know, th- those two weeks, um, he, he looked like you know we we found our our Brees Hall, but. Uh, it, it, he he was pretty brutal to watch by by yeah. the end of the year. Yeah, that's a good one. Um I so I I kind of tapped into the 2021 season for this one. Um yeah, George Fant mm. I, I just, you know, they signed him to be a swing tackle in 2021 and then all of a sudden he's, you know, going to uh what's the word? Um
1: like usurped Beckton. Yeah. I like, think yeah, he took over yeah. Beckton's job. Is that the word? Usurped. Usurped. Yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. Now um, he usurped Becton for you know the left tackle position. He was just going to be the left tackle, and we like figured out left tackle is going to be Fant. Becton would just move to right tackle, and you know uh, he didn't have a terrible season when he was on the field. He wasn't a complete nightmare, but um, I by no means have any interest in rolling out George Fant week one as our starting left tackle next year. That that absolutely yeah, can't.
1: Happen. That's a great point.
0: Yeah, I think people were were really excited about the prospect of that. And uh, that that's me always sound a little suspicious.
1: Yeah. No, that's a that's a great point. It, this happens a lot where we get like super enamored with the cast offs of other teams because they have a little bit right. of a flash and then we realize why thirty one other teams didn't really <laughs> care about having this guy on the team. And it's like, oh yeah, that's why we got him for cheap. Not because he's like the Tom Brady of offensive tackles, it's because right. he's a George Fan. But,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, it's amazing how that works. Yeah.
0: Um, All right. I'll take the first pick here for the fourth round. We're moving on to the positives now. We got the the yuckiness out of our systems. Number four, the first positive, the Jim Leonard Heart and Hustle Award. Pretty pretty self-explanatory. Who embodied the grit the most? Um, I've got two answers here. I'm gonna give you the chance to to take my my number one again because I'm sure that you're you're gonna go with this guy. You were just talking about him, but I'm actually gonna go with Mike White mm. as my answer for this. Um, like so refreshing to see a guy that you know I I really feel is like a, a warrior out there, and mm. and that was how Garrett Wilson described him. And you know he he needs to do something about how he takes hits, but um. You know, he, he took those hits this year and he, he really wanted to get back into the, into each situation he was thrown in and had such a great attitude and really felt like he was giving it all that he had every time he was on the field. And I was very appreciative of it considering at what point of the season he came onto the season, you know, into the starting roster after the Zach Wilson debacle was, was, uh, you know, in, in peak form. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really appreciative of what Mike White did and, um, I, I I hope he's on the Jets for a long time. I really do.
1: Yeah, if he could only learn how to take a tackle, yeah. he would have just potentially put together like an all-time second half of the year. But it's clearly an issue, and I agree. Like the fact that he even tried to come back with like a life-threatening broken ribs injury and yeah. couldn't even throw and came back um, is impressive and something that we don't see from a lot of Jets over the years who could easily just mail it in. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Who, who you got for the heart and hustle?
1: Yeah, I think my pick was obvious. It's, it's Quincy Williams. I mean, this guy was just the never stop working, never stop hitting people, um, clearly loves being a Jet, loves playing with his brother. They get like a power boost together, I'm convinced, like a backyard baseball style like boost <laughs> when they play together. Um, and I think that he's just everything I want an NFL player to root for. Did,
0: did you ever play uh, like Mario baseball? Were you big into Mario baseball?
1: No, not enough to be able to speak to what you're about to
0: reference. <laughs> so there's like when you are playing like Mario at shortstop and Luigi at first base and there's a ground ball to shortstop, he'll like throw the ball better to first base mm-hmm. because he'll, there's like chemistry between Mario and Luigi. That's that's what I feel like that yeah, that going on. That's back exactly
1: there. right. Just gigantic yeah. versions of Mario and Luigi.
0: Yes. Yeah, he, he was awesome. Um yeah, we talked about him being like Bobby Boucher, um, just played with his hair on fire and hits guys in the most like clean and legal way that you just don't see in, in the yeah. NFL anymore. It's insane. Um, He's yeah, able to generate like,
1: so much force. It's it never like, sense.
0: oh, he like he really went head to head there, and you no, know, that never happens with him. Like every, it's just like most clean, good football you you could possibly draw up. It's like a drill.
1: And then you can hear it from the telecast, yeah. which is always awesome too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the team loves it and he gets uh, everyone rallied behind him. So he's awesome to watch. Um, so those are our Jim Leonard Heart and Hustle Awards. We'll move on to the fifth superlative here. You're up first here. The DeBricashaw Ferguson Set It and Forget It Award. Who do you feel best about just slotting him in there week in, week out without any stress over it? Who'd you feel best about that this year?
1: I kind of played my hand earlier, but it's DJ Reed, guy was yeah. just absolutely lights out at the cornerback position this year and even some weeks had to go up against the number 1 and played it incredibly well. Even in that Bills game when they won, Diggs was like kind of beating him up for a few plays, but he just kept coming back and that happens to cornerbacks, you get beat even the best ones, but it's the guys who can come back and not let that blow up a game that are really impressive and he was just a really solid excellent cornerback year weekend week McCow.
0: yeah yeah extremely reliable um yeah un- undrafted right um just an incredible story he, he played with a-, a chip on his shoulder the the entire yeah can you fact check that undrafted Um,
1: yeah let's see and he also like i think he lost a family member this year and he was a fifth round pick but Definitely maybe,
0: Yeah, he may, or maybe he like didn't get a, a bunch of uh, like uh, offers. Where did, he, where, where did
1: he? What college did he go to? He played Kansas State. I test yeah. listeners. We'll put together a DJ Reed bio and drop it in the uh, in yeah. The I,
0: I, I, Connor Rogers did a great, great breakdown on like you know all the adversity that he overcame. I, I, I guess I haven't really tapped back into it since earlier this year when he went over it. But it's it's an incredible story. I mean, just not. You know, he he wasn't a, a top ten pick. He he wasn't, um, you know, five star recruit out of high school. He didn't get offers from you know SEC schools. It's, um, it really an incredible journey that he he went through to get where he is, and deserves every piece of recognition. And in my opinion, a lot more recognition than he's currently getting. Um, so an absolutely great response to to that award. Um, you know, if, if you know, you kind of have to go with the stud here. Um, and I know I said I would try not to use him, but if I can't use DJ Reed here, I got, I just got to use Quinnen. He yeah. just like, well, you know those uh, the what game did he miss? The Detroit game. Um, he missed a game late in the year, and it just sucked. And when he was playing, there was like no thought about um, you know, like how they were going to use him, what teams were going to do to him. Like you, you just knew he he was going to perform. No matter what he was up against, um, from an opponent standpoint, standpoint or a game plan standpoint. And I was ready, you know, heading into the season, he was a lot closer to the Muhammad Wilkerson. Don't let the door yeah. hit you on the way out award for me. So I'm, I'm really, really quite pleased with what he put together this year. And, um, yeah, you could probably go through my twitter and find some (laughs) ugly words that i said about him at one point but in the words of evan roberts i'd rather be wrong and happy than right and miserable so
1: yeah well said yeah i mean you know also quinnon by being the force of nature that he was made everyone else around him more effective too because you can go back and watch dozens of plays this year where he was eating up the double team and pushing the pocket forward or pushing the pocket back from the center and that yep. gives the edges a chance to blow up a play or it puts the quarterback in a bad position where he can't step up. And it's like, he doesn't get credit for that. It's not right. something that the announcer is going to say, like, wow, what a double team rush by Quin- by Quinn Williams. But it was really obvious if you were looking for it that he was wrecking the game from the inside. Yeah, he
0: just ate, ate bodies.
1: And slipping and, and, through double teams. Like, it's, you know, it's yeah. one thing to be elite. And there's plenty of guys that get double teamed in this league. And struggle to break out of them, and that's understandable because you're going up against two of the best blockers on the planet by definition, and there are two of them against you. And Quinnen mm-hmm. was finding ways to consistently slip through that, and that's not like normal good defensive tackle play. That is all pro elite, like the sky's the limit potential for him. So this year was super yep. exciting for him. I love that pick.
0: Yep, yep. He has uh, finally come around to being worthy of the the third overall pick, which. Um, you know, thank you, McCagden. That was a nice parting gift that, that he left yeah. us with. <laughs> um, cool. All right. Last, last superlative here. And then we'll move on to some of the, you know, 2023 outlook. Um, I got the first pick here, the Bilal Powell. Just be patient. He'll be a fan favorite one day award. Who are we not really thinking about today? But when we look back at this team in 2025, he, this guy's just the, the darling of, of the franchise. And, um, I'm, I'm excited about this pick. I've got Michael Carter the second in here, mm. the, the 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 slot corner. Um quietly, you know, Bryce Hall got got phased out. You really didn't hear much from Eccles, you know, this year. Um, you know, they they really clearly made efforts to revamp and you know, kind of gut and get some some fresh blood in here with, with sauce and DJ Reed. This guy did not get phased out. He he you know stuck with it and um found himself to be like a, an incredibly valuable contributor every week, and he's cheap. He was a fourth round pick, um, or no, he was a fifth round pick because Michael Carter the first. <laughs> there can the only do one round per court.
1: round. That's
0: yeah. The <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, day three pick. Um, he's in. He's going into year three. You know, maybe maybe he gets another couple years with the team after. You know his his rookie contract is over, and you know next thing you know, six years have gone by, and he's been the slot corner for you know a productive slot corner for six years. I really think he's got that within his um you know realm of possibility. So I'm 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 pumped about that pick. I think that's gone under the radar.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. And I guess before I answer this, are we sure Bilal Powell's still not on the roster?
0: <laughs> uh, only sure because uh, when when every running back went down this past year. Uh, he he did uh, tweet out that he would be open to a tryout, so that would imply that he was not currently on the Jets I roster. I can't <laughs>
1: think of a Jet who has earned more love for being like a good player. Like he didn't do it from purely on the field; it was just from being bad a guy. Team too. Yeah, yeah. He just he just showed up and did his job, and was like a great fan favorite, and that's such a great. Uh, this award embodies him more than any other award yes. embodies anybody in my opinion. Yeah, because
0: so. I mean, in 2012 when he was drafted, we weren't thinking like. You know, we barely saw the field. We weren't thinking this guy was going to be around through the 2018 season. Yeah, every
1: team drafts mm-hmm. mid-round running backs constantly. And for this guy to have stuck around in our heads for this long, is a testament yeah. to how awesome he was. Um, My answer, this one's a little bit more of like a Homer pick for me in that I fell in love with this guy during training camp. And I think that as soon as people start to appreciate how dope he is, he will. Now, this means he has to stay on the team. And he's like definitely kind of close to the bottom. But mm-hmm. I think he will, which is Michael Clemens. Um, yeah. For those of you who haven't watched a lot of Jets football, he's number seventy-two. He's probably six-seven, two-eighty, like cut, like a pure muscle. The guy is looks like everything you'd want in a defensive lineman. He also is super scary. Like he has a big nose piercing, and he doesn't smile. And um, he was a fifth round, fourth round pick out of Texas A&M. Um, but the reason he went so late is not because of on the field production. It's because he's older. So I think he's twenty-five as a mm-hmm. rookie or twenty-four. Um, so he came to the league just much older than a lot of these guys who come in at like 20 and have years of development and still growth ahead of them. But he was an awesome rotational player this year. He didn't play every game, but he was a contributor on special teams. He actually blocked the punt in green Bay that got returned for a touchdown, Mm -hmm. which I was super jazzed by because I was in Lambeau just the whole game watching him. And for him to have made that play was extremely rewarding. Um, I might've been the only person in Lambeau cheering for Michael Clemens that day, um, and I just, I think if he sticks around, he'll be the kind of guy that like Jets fans fall in love with because he's freakishly talented and an extremely hard worker and super scary. And um, our high school football coaches always talked about how you have a guy who's like the first off the bus. This is the guy you want coming off the bus first to scare the other team.
0: Yeah. he's He's got some intimidation factor to him. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to think why he'll be around for a while. Um and and I actually disagree. I don't think he's on the border for 2023. I, I, just think, I think it's because
1: there's like 11 defensive linemen and they always end up cutting the guys I like. But it's not. Well, I mean, to him.
0: I think they're keeping him over guys like Rankins and Vinnie Curry and you know those I hope guys. So. That, yeah, I, I don't even think that's much of a debate. Um, you know, he produced and and flashed, and the big thing you pointed out, he plays special teams really well, and that. Yeah. That, that keeps you on
1: rosters. He's not, yeah. he's not like some kind of like oaf defensive. He's not an tackle. oaf like at They all. can put him on special teams and he will run down the field. And yeah, you, he when looks that like he's running at you.
0: If you told me he was an Olympian, I'd believe it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I uh, encourage all of our listeners right now to just Google um, Michael Clemens Jets training camp. He showed up, he, he did it with his shirt off. Like He just is the yeah. scariest looking dude, mean mugging all the reporters. Yeah. It was awesome.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's a great pick. Um, yeah, I think you're onto something there. I didn't even really consider him for this pick. Um, I had JFM as my D lineman mm-hmm. in in this. Um,
1: but he's that, already that, like he's already like a relative star on this team. I mean, he's like third highest paid player on this roster.
0: Well, yeah, but I feel like that doesn't translate to public perception.
1: Yeah, that's uh, fair. but
0: the, but they're committed to him, so he will be here. You know. Yeah. Ideally, you know, he's he's here for at least a couple more years and then all of a sudden it's gonna be twenty twenty five and we're like, whoa, we're like John Franklin Myers is like <laughs> <laughs> he was here, you know, he was here for the, you know, Zach Wilson days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. You know, so, that yeah. Um, awesome. Okay, cool. That that was fun. Uh I think that that puts a bow on twenty twenty two pretty nicely. Um, yeah, this isn't to say that we are not appreciative of Sauce and Garrett Wilson and you know all the 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 big stars of this team who didn't get a shout out in this superlative section, but um, you know it's it's February twenty second. You you've had two months for for other Jets con- yeah content producers to talk about how how special those two are. So we'll we'll get into the twenty twenty three season outlook now. Um, we'll we'll try to keep this under about twenty twenty five minutes or so. Let's start with the elephants in the room. That's the quarterback position and Nathaniel Hackett. Um let's actually start with Nathaniel Hackett because there's nothing we can do about it now. Like he's here and he will be the offensive coordinator of this team. Um, The quarterback situation is a little bit more open-ended. So Nathaniel Hackett gut reaction has your gut reaction changed at all? What's, what's your feel on this guy?
1: My gut reaction is, was first the guy I was like, you're really hiring the guy who just got run out of town in Denver. Um, But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that plenty of guys get embarrassed as head coaches and then go on to be pretty fine coordinators because head coaching is really, really hard in this league, especially when you're sandbagged with um, 35-year-old, terrible Russell Wilson. It's probably very hard to be an NFL coach like that. Um, And I went back and looked a little bit at Hackett's years in Green Bay, which is kind of like what made his name. And it's always hard to separate the offensive coordinator from the fact that he was playing with Aaron Rodgers having MVP seasons. Mm-hmm. So it's like hard to know kind of like which one causes which. Is there kind of a, a multiplicative effect where one makes the other one better? Um, But either way, he didn't get in Aaron Rodgers' way to let him have an MVP season, which I think is a good sign. And hopefully he can figure out ways to use the talent that he's got, and he will definitely have a better quarterback than LaFleur had for his years. So in that sense, I'm optimistic, but I also respect the fact that I have no idea what offensive coordinators are going to do until... The first game so yeah I'm kind of just optimistic blindly in a lot of ways
0: yeah yeah it's really all you can be I mean you know the one thing um that I'm really not happy with it's clearly there needed to be someone had to get fired it's just how how the NFL works when you yeah. lose what is it six straight to to finish the season and you know you can't score a touchdown for the final three games you know someone's got to go the offensive coordinator is an easy person because you know We all still like the head coach and the GM, so it's not going to be them. Um, you know, I I would have been fine with just making Zach Wilson that guy and, you know, keeping, keeping the band together. I I don't like that Lafleur immediately got such a prominent role in a well run franchise. (laughs) And, yeah, you the, the franchise that won the Super Bowl two years ago in the Rams, he's now the offensive coordinator there. Like the, the McVay knows what he's doing and he's always built great staffs around him. That, that to me is the most concerning part of this decision. Um, you know, the fact that they bailed on a guy who clearly, um, has, is, is viewed in a positive light throughout the league.
1: Yeah, that one doesn't bother me as much because I think back to like Brian Schottenheimer getting a bunch of jobs after the Jets canned him and it's he wasn't hard. very good offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't a good offensive <laughs> coordinator. So I think that's also like he's young and his name's LaFleur and he's a Shanahan like, accolade and those guys basically get hired just by like getting a cup of coffee for, you know, for Shanahan yeah. at some point. So I, I don't, I wouldn't worry about that too much, especially for a head coach who famously like, doesn't relinquish control and we'll be calling the place so right Lafleur is like basically like a, gonna be like a an overtitled like film and quality assurance coach
0: right exactly the issue was that Lafleur never should have got this job with the Jets in the first place
1: yeah he was it, clearly always should, just,
0: it always should have been a Nathaniel Hackett type
1: yeah Salah should have brought in like I think D'Amico Ryans is doing this like a lot of these young guys are bringing in basically like yeah guys they can just like co-opt the entire or they can just hand off the entire offense to or the defensive or an offensive coach and just say like I don't know how to do this yet so like you do it and then just tell me how you're doing it and I agree he brought in a guy who was too young and a quarterback that was too risky to have such a young coordinator and in that sense it was it was just never going to be a good match
0: yeah so you know I, I'm like you like can't you know I'm not going to jump to a conclusion about him um I, I really don't know you know, much about what he brings to the table. And, and for the most part, I do trust Joe Douglas and Solid to make the right decision on who they bring in as their offensive coordinator. So I'm not going to trash the guy, Nathaniel Hackett, that is immediately like many Jets fans have did not love that he was wearing a hat at the table with, you know, when they were out to, out to dinner with Derek Carr <laughs> on the scout, a recruiting trip, uh, recruiting dinner that this past week. I thought that looked pretty, pretty juvenile. But, um, you know, other than that, I, I think he's, uh yeah you know, the book is very open on him um yeah i, I wish it was Kellen Moore.
1: yeah though i wonder if that would have also been getting too cute uh i like the idea of having a guy who knows how to be a head coach in the nfl or honestly knows how to be a coach knows what it's like to be a head coach in the nfl and can just appreciate the perspective that like failing gives you um i think there's something to be said from that professionally like he went through just probably what will be the worst few months of his professional career. Yeah. And now he has a fresh start. And like, I think people are better for that. So I, I in that sense, I'm maybe a little bit more forgiving than most.
0: And he must have, you know, the way I, I think, uh, maybe I'm being optimistic, but I like to think he has some inclination as to who the jets are going to be able to get at quarterback, whether yeah. it's Rodgers or not, because he like, he's got to get this right. You know yeah. he, he this, this he's not going to get a third chance after what went down in Denver this past year. So yeah, you know he he had to pick and choose his spot very um, you know uh, intentionally. And I'm hoping he he did that because he he knows who the Jets can get a quarterback. So that's a good segue into um, you know the other elephant in the room, the quarterback position. You know we could we could have our own podcast on on this topic alone, but. You know, maybe, maybe rank the possibilities, including Lamar. We'll say Lamar, Rogers, Carr, Garoppolo, Tannehill, Mike White, those six. Um, considering how you would get them trade free agency, you know, all, all of that considered, who, who's the, the best, you know, ideally what, what, what happens for this team in, in order.
1: Yeah, and, I think, and,
0: and now contract value matters too.
1: Yeah, I think Lamar is clear number one. I mean, the guy's like a 26-year-old MVP winner who, yeah. when healthy, is the most electric playmaker in the league. Um, the Ravens will want like eight first-round picks for him, and that's probably not realistic for a team that could always use more young talent. Even when we're saying it's good, you need more. Um, so I don't think that's super realistic, but that's number one. I'd put Carr at two. I think that's the most realistic. It's also great to be able to sign somebody in free agency and not have to give up any capital whatsoever. Yeah. And Cap barely exists in the NFL. Like These guys can spread out bonuses and they can make the contracts work. And I just think he's a consummate professional and he would step in and immediately make this team a threat to throw for 300 yards every week, which we have not seen in so long. Um... And then I think there's a pretty big drop off after that. And the reason I think there's a drop off is that trading for Aaron Rodgers would require at least a first round pick. And I don't think you can get him to commit that he's going to play for another more than one more year. I mean, like, are you going to trade a first or maybe even two first round picks for a guy that might just say, like, I'm done playing football this year and I'm going to go take a bunch of ayahuasca and sit in a room, a dark room by myself? Like, I don't think you can rely on that. And trading a bunch of first round picks and like, potentially destroying your team from the inside if Mm -hmm. it goes wrong scares me to death. Um, It's not a risk. Yeah. And then I guess to round that out, Tannehill, I don't think he's that much of a better option than uh, Mike White, only in that I think Tannehill is facing probably what's similar to what Matt Ryan faced this year, which is like the bottom's going to fall out at some point and it's going to yeah. fall out really, really hard. And the Jets are a great team for that to happen on. <laughs> this has happened a lot True. where guys come to yeah. the Jets and like it just falls apart. So um, I guess I'd rather bring back Mike White, but I think that's like a bad, bad worst case scenario.
0: W- what about Jimmy G?
1: Uh, yeah, I guess I would rank Jimmy G above Tannehill. I think he could at least be a competent starter and not like destroy things if the defense yeah. can give him leads and he can. And get a good running game and an offensive line going.
0: Mike White on presumably a very cheap team-friendly contract, or Jimmy G at a relatively expensive contract.
1: I think it's Jimmy G. I don't think I think you you pointed this out to me last year, which is Mike White just can't stay on the field, and yeah. you can't rely on him to be a starter if he's going to get hurt, even if he's yeah. going to play potentially at that ceiling that he's shown. He, he court, like the best ability for quarterbacks is availability, right? Like you got to yeah. be on the field.
0: I, I do have some breaking news for you, and that Jimmy Garoppolo does not stay healthy either. <laughs> yeah,
1: <fair enough. laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I, that's that's probably why he's fourth on my list, um, right?
0: And Jimmy G with Mike White behind him is a lot better than Mike White with no one behind him.
1: Yeah, the, that's a great yeah. great way of putting it. Because you know who's behind Mike White? Zach Wilson,
0: <laughs> right? Zach Wilson or Straveler. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so how we don't want go. to go down that road again. Yeah. Um do you, do you have yeah, any disagreements I mean, with that list?
0: No, no, I'm I'm for the most part very much in line. Um Lamar, of course, you know, like we don't even really need to talk about it much. It's it's so obvious why he would be the far and away best choice for this team. Um did you real quick, did you know the rule on first round picks you're allowed to trade? You you mentioned you would trade eight first round picks for him. Or you know, the Ravens would ask for eight round first round picks.
1: I don't know the rules.
0: So you can trade eight first round picks. You can trade infinite amounts of first round picks if, well, I guess the max you could trade would be 32 times three. So basically, you can (laughs) trade first round picks up to three years out. So if you have, if you're loaded with six first round picks in the next three years, you could trade all of them, but you can't trade first round picks that are Five that will years come due, yeah, five years away. Exactly. That
1: makes sense because um, otherwise yep. teams would be trading the Patriots 2032 first round picks and Belichick exactly. would just be sitting pretty for whenever he turns 90. Right.
0: Because like the GM would be like, why do I care? I don't even care from the GM in 2032, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So um, I do like that rule. Um, and, uh, and you know, just hoard all 60. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You, you could really, really make a, a living on that if you somehow pulled off the, uh, you know, you, you caught a team that was quarterback desperate enough that had, you know, five or six first round picks in the next three years. Like it, there's a world where that could happen. And it'd be pretty cool. Um, but anyway, so Lamar, of course, number one. Number two, uh, I'm, I'm with you on, on Derek Carr. And it actually goes back to a conversation that you and I had back in 2018 not sure if you remember, but at the time the Jets had the sixth overall pick before they made the St. Paddy's Day trade up with Indianapolis to eventually get Sam Darnold. Uh Kirk Cousins was very much on the Jets radar as a free agent. Mm-hmm. And you were like, you know, you, you brought up, you know, the way I look at it is they sign Kirk Cousins, they use the sixth overall pick on, you know, maybe Quentin Nelson. And, you know, you, you have two first round picks coming out of this year. You know, that's the it's the equivalent of having two first round picks. Whereas if you use the pick on a quarterback, then you know you just have one first round pick, and it's going to be developmental. And you know, while that's not apples to apples here, it's kind of similar to Derek Carr versus Rodgers because it feels like you know, if you sign Derek Carr, you get two first round picks. You get Derek Carr and whoever they use their first your thirteenth overall pick on. Whereas if they trade for Rodgers, they're just getting. Rogers as opposed to having a first round pick because that would have to be included in the trade so right. obviously you know two-time MVP Rogers is a lot better than rookie Sam Darnold but I, I still look at it in a very similar light where um they can really really boost this roster with Carr plus 13th overall I think that would make a huge difference for this team especially yeah, if uh, there's you know Paris Johnson is is available. I think that would just, uh, that could be franchise changing. So uh, that that would be my second choice for that reason. Of course, Rogers three, but totally agree. I'm I'm aligned on all the risks that that comes with. I I don't love who he is as a person. Um, And then the next section here, you know, going back to our conversation, if you could guarantee that Mike White, Tannehill, and Jimmy G would all be healthy this year, given their value. You know, you know their contract value. I would say Mike White. Like I, I saw enough from him to to be confident that he could get it done. But with the injury concern and knowing who's on the, uh, you know, <laughs> on the back back end. up, yeah, you know, it's it's you know it's uh, it feels a little bit better to have Jimmy G or Tannehill as your starter and Mike White as the backup. So I guess that's the outgoing I'd go in as well. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, and it's it's unfortunate that the Jets are. It's not. It's, it's actually nice that the Jets are in a position where they can go get a stopgap quarterback. But it's unfortunate that we're doing this from a yet another failed first-round pick quarterback. Like, yeah, someone's gonna write a great article in the next couple of weeks, months, whatever it is, just like reminiscing of what the last fifteen years have been like at this quarterback position because yeah, it has just been whiff impossible. after whiff. Like you, you have to try to be this bad at picking quarterbacks.
0: Yeah, and you know, I guess the the Browns did it too. You know that that. Very famous t-shirt of all the different quarterbacks yeah. who have started for the Browns. Um, they still managed to get a playoff season out of it with Baker. Like, yeah. The Jets are still, still searching for that. So it's really incredible. Yeah. Um, okay, so moving on past the quarterback, biggest needs aside from that position. Um, what what stands out to you? Know, I think we we hit on it for the most part in our twenty twenty-two recap, but um, what do you want to see they use their most premium free agency um, you know contracts with and their their most premium draft picks assuming they have the 13th overall who do you want to see or what position group do you want to see that um, be allocated toward
1: yeah I want to see the offensive line just get much better depth and potentially one of these superstar three tack these three tackles that are potentially going in the top 10 whichever one of them falls to 13 I think is a a great pickup for this team. You can move Garrett Tucker to guard or tackle, whatever works. Yep. Give Beckton a shot to play. Don't rely on him, though, and potentially slot in a cornerstone left tackle that can just play for the next 10 years, set it and forget it. Um, um, I think you can get the middle of the defense in the second and third round. There's always great safeties and linebackers. We saw it this year with like Petre and. Um, there's a bunch of safeties. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'll remember their names as soon we as we seen, get off the- Brisker. From Georgia, Brisker was another uh, one that came up on like on yep they you can get these guys in the second and third round and they can plug and play starters at safety especially if they're coming from the SEC those guys are NFL ready right away. Wow. Um, and then I you know this is a perennial need I've said this since 2004 like they just always could use edge rushers like
0: mm-hmm. if
1: you see one you like go take a swing because that's a defensive wrecking machine.
0: It's like, you know, it's like quarterback. (laughs) They still haven't figured it out. It's amazing. And, you know, we we didn't talk about this much in the 2022 recap. Really, really disappointing season for Carl Lawson. He won't be on the team next year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, next year when we're doing our,
1: you know,
0: guaranteed flop award, Jermaine Johnson isn't inspiring much hope. Um, I'm still and I, holding out
1: hope. I, I like yeah, his motor. It's, in it's
0: similar to Denzel Mims, where there's a reason why these guys fall on draft night. Right. And it's never because of a good reason. It's not because um, the Jets
1: are know something that every other team doesn't. <laughs> yeah,
0: that is not why that happened. Yeah, um, you're right. So, so I'm, I'm, you know, of course I'm aligned that Edge and O line are like, I don't want to see them go any other direction with the 13th overall pick if they hold on to it. Other than those two spots, um, yeah. another position we really haven't spoke about, and it's interesting because you played this position in high school. Well, yeah. how do you feel about the tight end position?
1: Yeah, it was disappointing this year and very frustrating to watch Conklin drop passes and Usama just like not be that good, and Rucker never touch the field. Um, mm-hmm. That one to me feels like more of a luxury than a must have, and so I guess I would put it as like fourth on the list. But I would much rather get edge correctly than tight end correct. You know, like you can find yeah. like Conklin's not great, but he's not. No, yeah, the combination of
0: Conklin and Yuzama did not lose them games.
1: Yeah, I mean Conklin had a few drops, and like that killed me. But whatever. Um, I don't know if that's enough of a priority. It's more of a luxury, and this team still has plenty of gaps to fill that are must haves.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I I was I was. Excited to see the record pick. I knew he was never, or at least not in year one. I knew he would not be a pass catcher right. in in year one, and I'm not sure that's in his cards. But we need him to be better than Trayvon Wesco. <laughs>
1: that's, yeah, that's where, that's a um, fair request.
0: Yeah, that's that's the the minimum I'm drawing, and I I think that's you know we saw what he did in the biggest stages in college football. Um, you know we we know he can play. Um, I would love to see a year or two leap out of him. I think that would make a, you know, it's one of those quiet things that, you know, we might not realize right now, but that could really go a long way if that guy turns into a starter.
1: Yeah. And also Hackett didn't really have a lot of tight end work in Green Bay. Granted, that's because every receiver they draft is like 6'5", 240. So yeah. maybe he can turn Mims into like a functioning slot wide receiver who can block inside, but also, you know, be teams over the middle on cover too. So, I have hope that maybe he'll be able to scheme something better because he certainly wasn't getting all pro play out of Tunyon and eighty four year old Mercedes Lewis.
0: Right, right, yeah. Tunyon had like one stretch, but that that was
1: like and that, that stretch is because his quarterback is Aaron Rodgers, not because right of and Tunyon.
0: and the stat lines the stat lines were like three targets, two catches, forty four yards, and a touchdown. Every yeah, week. yeah. It's like it, it helps
1: was, when you have a quarterback who's like playing at the peak of his skills, flicking the wrist and putting the right. ball like in a. You know, a tiny little spot.
0: Yeah, throwing three to five touchdowns every game. Yeah, you know, you're about to have some fall in your lap. Um, so, I'll, you know, I'll be honest here. I I don't have much as far as specific names for free agency and draft. I just haven't quite gotten there. Um, do you have anything any any specific names? I know Paris Johnson is the only one that comes to mind for me, but I'll, I don't have much else besides
1: that. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the safeties and they're probably going to take too much money to pull down. Like, Jesse Bates would be a luxury, but it's not going to happen. Von Bell mm-hmm. probably doesn't fit given that they have Whitehead. But so I, I anticipate that this will be a little bit quieter of a free agent sit back. And honestly, like, my free agent yeah. targets would be go back and get, bring back McGovern, bring back um, Nate Herbig, and like keep these guys who are your sixth and seventh. I mean, a governor would start at center, but like Herbig could be your swing tackle or your guard plug in. And as we said, like guys get hurt on the O-line and it's who steps in that makes a big difference. Make sure that you have like NFL caliber depth at those positions. So you don't get crushed when the inevitable injuries happen.
0: And two two things that come to mind here. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. When you're relying on um, external free agents, you know, through the free agency period to come in and, you know, flip your roster, you're not in a good spot. You, you right. just, that's not how the NFL works. You don't want to be relying <laughs> well, on Well, we
1: that. did that, and it didn't work. So. Right.
0: <clears throat> and, and they've done it for years. Um, secondly, um, you know, you brought up re-signing existing assets to the team, existing players on the roster. And Robbie Anderson, too good to be true, or it could have been Braxton Berrios.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. a great point.
0: That like, you know, I I was all for that. I even spoke about it on my podcast last year about the perfect Jets offseason. Like getting him back in here was, was what I thought that would have been a, 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 you know, like not, not just a a boost for the roster, but like, you know, a sign that good players want to be here, you know, and, you know, maybe his market wasn't what we anticipated it would be. But, um, anyway, I, I think, you know, locking in the, the good players that are here. That, um, you know, it might not be, you know, it's not going to make breaking news on Twitter, but, you know, it's just going to round out the roster um, in a more, you know, uh, almost like mature approach from Joe Douglas, I think would go. Yeah. And, I,
1: and I, I'm planting my flag on this one a little bit. I think Connor McGovern being re-signed would be a huge boost to this offense. Yeah. Like having to go find another center who can play at a good, if not great, like he's not great, but he's good. yeah would be like a massive boost. And I, I get the sense the jets know that like, yeah, you don't like accidentally fall into a guy who starts at center for multiple seasons. And you know that that guy is worth holding on to. So I have to imagine that they're going to figure out a way to keep him in house.
0: Yep. Yep. I totally agree with that. Um, yeah. Just like, you know, not every player has to be a star. Every player right. on the Chiefs and Eagles are not stars. They have plenty of guys who are just good that don't lose you games. And if they're up the middle, like a center or linebacker or safety even better. Yeah. (laughs) Yep.
1: Yeah. Just depth Um, and rounding out this roster would be a great boost given how much of a swing and a hit and how many home runs they've hit in the superstar positions besides quarterbacking. Yep.
0: Yep. Good. All right. So let's, let's get to our final subsection here. And that is the 2023 schedule preview thoughts. Um, The home opponents are of course the bills, dolphins and Patriots along with, the more marquee matchups coming from out of division like the Chiefs and Eagles, both Super Bowl participants from this past season will be coming to town along with the Chargers. They have to come across the entire country to get to New Jersey. The Commanders will be you know, going north a little bit. Texans, long trip for them. And Falcons will take a quick flight to meet the Jets at MetLife. On the road, of course, the AFC East, Bills, Dolphins, Pats. They're going back to Denver. Where they've had actually a lot of success recently, um, they go to Vegas for the first time in their franchise history. They co- they go to Dallas, um, which I I really feel like is going to be a Thanksgiving game. Um, they go to to the Giants, which is great. They don't have to travel for that one, and they go to Cleveland, uh, where where they won this past season as well. So, um, you know, I, I've got some some thoughts. I'll defer to your thoughts on this, but. Um, you know, take it any direction. Games that stick out, general vibe you get from from these opponents. You know, what do you what do you think, and what kind of implication does it have on this twenty twenty three season? Knowing who they'll be lining up against.
1: Yeah, I think having nine home games in a seventeen game season is already a nice little advantage that works out in the Jets' favor. But this is a yeah. soft schedule. This is a schedule that the Jets, if they figure out quarterback, should compete for a division title like this is just not a. there's a lot of winnable games on the schedule and it's really 10 home games right it's the Giants on the road is a gift it's a scheduling gift Mm -hmm. and your toughest road games outside the division are Dallas Cleveland like those are like every game on the road is winnable. I would argue Denver yeah who knows what them? they're crap yeah they might just like to your
0: point I mean like none of these
1: terrify you yeah, and like yes, you get the Chiefs, Chargers, and Eagles at home, but you get them at home. So like, you if you have a one percent chance of winning an Arrowhead, you have a three percent chance of winning them at life. Um, and if you get so, crushed, you don't have to then travel home. You can just lick yeah. your wounds and go home. that day.
0: Well, you'll have to drive home, which will suck after <laughs> that yeah. smoke. But, um, so that's actually that was that was my my question for you. You get the Chiefs, char the Chiefs and Eagles. You know, I think the Chargers, I'm not certain they're that much better than the Jets right now. Um, that that to me, the Chargers at home actually feels like a pretty winnable game considering the Chargers uh, you know, travel that'll come along with it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The Chiefs and Eagles stick out. Every game's important. On the road, there's no chance you're beating them. At home, it's small chance you're beating them. Would you rather just get those games on the road, take your L, and, you know, more or less, Inch toward locking up games against like the uh, the the Browns and the Raiders, um, where if you get them at home, you know the the likelihood of winning maybe goes from forty seven percent on the road to fifty seven percent at home, you know something like that. Where where it's uh you know you're you're really giving yourself an advantage, whereas you're going to lose either way. Rather play those games on the road.
1: That's a good question. Um, I guess I always think of it as like you. Always have a chance in the NFL if your team is not atrocious, and mm-hmm. you never know. The Chiefs lost to the Colts this year in Indianapolis. Like, no. if that's an if that's like a week three game, like we've seen the Chiefs not figure their stuff out until mm-hmm. like October, November, and I don't know. The Eagles could easily be in for a letdown. Like, please, like don't let Corson and those guys come after me. I can't do the Eagles hands. Um, I also won't <laughs> be going to that Jets Eagles game. Like, I just I can't. I can't deal with their fans in person. They're so brutal. And they're going to probably beat the Jets. So I, I don't need to deal with that. But all that to say, you never know. And I would rather have good teams at MetLife than have to go to them. And because, like we were saying earlier, if the Jets go to Arrowhead, that's a rollover and die game. If yeah, the Jets bring them, the the Chiefs come to MetLife.
0: Could be competitive for three quarters.
1: And that's honestly would be a win. Like yeah. as sad as that is to say, like moral victories against, the greatest quarterback, physically gifted quarterback we'll ever see. It's pretty good.
0: Yep. And that's a great point about getting the Chiefs early. I think that would be um, crucial to this season.
1: Yeah. If we catch them in December and like, amidst of an inevitable 11-game win streak, it ain't happening.
0: Yeah. Um, I've also got a a sneaky feeling. It all depends on who the Jets get at quarterback, because if it is Rodgers, this – schedules riddled with primetime games in my opinion. Yeah. Um yeah, I think the, the Eagles could be like the Monday Night Opener, you know, or or um you know, the Chargers feels like a game that could be primetime. Chiefs feels like a game that could be primetime. They love to put Vegas in in night games, you know, so it, depending on yeah. who the quarterback is, they they could really rack up some uh, primetime games. And it'd be so nice to get a Sunday night game after 12 years have gone by with that one. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, yeah. That would be really fun.
0: Yeah. Um, one other question about the schedule. When do you want the division? Or or does it not matter to you? But do you, you I mean like, about,
1: do I want to play Buffalo in September or late in the I'm season? I'm really
0: thinking more like New England. Do you want those games weeks one and seven or do you want them 11 and 18?
1: I think 11 and 18. I really? Think, yeah, I think... I don't know. i never want them. I know. <laughs> uh, but this year, I think this year lined up as well as you could have asked for. I mean, their offense was I in know. shambles when they came to us, and yeah, we still handed them two games. Like, yep. I think the middle of the season is fine. I think late in the season is fine. Honestly, this team just doesn't scare me that much. Like, if the Jets can figure out a quarterback who just doesn't, like, poops pants when he faces Bill Belichick, like, take him whenever.
0: That's what scares me so much is that the fact that, you know, they, they aren't superior in basically any roster position outside of quarterback. And that's even marginal. Yeah. Um, you know, that, and they, they just, they can't figure them out. It's, it's so brutal to watch. Um, so I would rather get them out of the way early. I mean, you can, I feel like you just, you get over losses early in the season quicker. Um, you know, you have knowing that you have more time to make up for it um, w- would be nice.
1: I, I uh, yeah, I would so there is something the to be said um, about how banged up New England was by the end of the year this year. Like they were yeah. terrible at the end. They had Ramondre Stevenson was playing on like one leg. D- Damien Harris right. never came back. Mac Jones looked worse and worse as the season went on. So there's a chance that the Bill O'Brien experiment just falls flat on its face, and that offense is like truly in shambles by the by yeah. week 15 next year
0: yeah i'd be down for that if, if it comes out and uh you know they're at new england week 18 i'm, I'm not gonna be happy to yeah. <laughs> yeah um awesome all righty any any closing thoughts we did well we're at we're at uh just about 100 minutes
1: yeah this is great i have two closing thoughts um i guess three. First, thanks for having me it's an honor. I tested the uh, top of my list on listen, so I would be remiss not oh, to it. say how honored I am to be here. Um, second, the question I have for you is: Do we finally get a jet in a Sunday Night Football intro? Does Sauce show up in like the Carrie Underwood montage yes. that we have just yeah. never we've yeah, never yeah. had I, a jet in that before?
0: I, 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 it's guaranteed. He's so the camera loves him. ESPN yeah. loves him. You know, big media loves him. It's 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 happening.
1: Yeah. And then the last thing I'll say is this year, let's get a little bit more than in the hunt and let's compete for a division. That's, yeah. That's what I'm asking for.
0: Yeah. You know, if, if Carr is the quarterback, that's my expectation for sure. Yeah. Carr not, Yeah.
1: You know, so let's, let's go out there and give the AFC East a threat to win our second division in 20 years.
0: <laughs> that'd be fun. It'd be fun. Yeah,
1: 20 year gap. We're due yeah that it,
0: it, will, it has it been it was o two so it's now been twenty years all right yeah. twenty one yeah well uh, man, hosting a playoff game would be so awesome yeah, we're due. yeah, awesome well, thank you so much for joining. that was a ton of fun. We had been talking about doing this for a while i'm I'm glad we finally got it on the books um i I knew we would have a lot to get into, so I'm excited uh, about how we we kept the script generally pretty light and we just you know, had a lot of, had a lot of thoughts about this topic to get off our chest. So it was great, great going through it with you. Thank you all for listening. Um, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It would be sincerely appreciated. And I will talk to you soon. Take care.
1: This is the- talking next Jets, and bets It's the eye test. Yeah, we'll play a little Monday morning QB. Who we picking for tonight? You'll just have to wait and see. We got the covers over unders and the fumblers and runners. All you need is right here. The eye test is where to This be. is the eye test. You know we better than the rest. We keep it Lying from the grid, eye to diamond talking nets, jets and bets, fifty eye test. This is the eye test, you know we better than the rest. We keep it real, we never lying from the grid, eye to diamond talking nets, jets and bets, fifty eye test.